Turn, if you would, to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. As we just kind of sit under that good word. It never gets old to sing about amazing grace. And never a greater opportunity than we gather as the church, as the bride of Christ, gathering together to worship God and to sing about amazing grace. So let's come before the Lord and pray together. Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, you are good and you are faithful and you are amazing in your grace towards undeserving sinners. Lord, we thank you that you can take the chains of sin and and break them and break the bondage of sin and and break into lives and transform and, 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 and take us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, we thank you that that's what the gospel does. That's what our Savior does. That's what Jesus did in coming from heaven to earth to to die on a cross to redeem a people from every tribe, tongue and nation that will one day experience what we read about in Revelation 21. That one day you will dwell with your people and, 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 and we will be your people and you are our God. And every tear and every sorrow and every pain and all suffering will be wiped away. And death will be no more. It will be swallowed up in victory. Glorious victory. And so we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and we thank you that you break into lives with amazing grace. And we pray, God, that as we spend some more time in Psalm 27, that we would just glory in the truths of it, that we'd be helped by it, that you would call us into being a people who desperately seek the Lord, who seek the face of God in prayer. And Father, that you would anoint this message. Lord, help me to get out of the way and that your spirit would unfold your word in power, and that you would open our hearts to receive the truths of God in this passage. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. I'm going to read to you a quote from a famous Puritan writer who wrote a commentary on the whole Bible. His name's Matthew Henry. If you don't have that commentary, I encourage you to pick it up. It's very devotional-like read, but he was a Puritan that had a heart for God, and he also wrote a lot about prayer. And Matthew Henry famously said, I love prayer. It is that which buckles on the Christian's armor. And I thought, if, if anything's happening in Psalm 27, like, that's happening. Like, David's buckling on the armor. David's calling out to God. David's, remember, if, if, if we remember last week, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? One thing I've asked and that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon His beauty and to inquire the Lord in His temple. David's heart, right? We dropped a couple anchors last week. We're going to drop a few more this week as we think about prayer And really, this second half of Psalm 27, it it, it turns from being confident trust in God to a desperate heart cry and prayer unto the Lord. And that's what we see before us. And what's interesting about the book of Psalms is, is we're getting 
a little slice of faith through every walk of life, through all sorts of situations. We're seeing it here where David is encountering enemies and trials and, 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 and great difficulty and attack spiritually. But there's 150 Psalms in the Bible that are prayers. And have you ever wondered why God would put in His Word, directly in the center of His Word, 150 prayers? Not to mention the whole Bible is just saturated in prayer. It is a prayer-drenched book. But God would put at the center of it 150 prayers to show us what it means to live a life of faith through every kind of difficulty. Through what you're going through right now, there's a psalm about it. Through what you're experiencing as you walked in the door, there is a psalm that will instruct you how to call out to God in the midst of that. And you get to see like real life anguish, real life difficulty being lived out on the pages. And it's like jumping at us, reminding us, man, God has, he's actually been at work in people's lives through the same stuff I'm going through. So know that, brothers and sisters, as we enter in to Psalm 27. And we're going to start halfway through. We're going to look at verse 7. And I'm just going to read it. And then we'll, we'll drop a few more of those anchors over the side of the boat so we can get some ballast in our boat when the storms of life come. Amen? Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O Lord, or O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother forsake me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. And I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. That's a recipe to just put a earnestness into your prayer life. It's a recipe to put steel and backbone into your spiritual armor, right? As you're navigating the difficult waters of life. And difficulties hit us out of nowhere. And they come into our lives and this psalm is instructing us in ways that are going to help us in the storm. And so the first anchor I see in this last half of, of, of this passage is anchor number one is faith prays desperately to the Lord. It cries out in a, in a desperate sort of earnest, blood earnest, heartfelt prayer. And you see it right there in verse seven, right? Hear, O Lord, you can almost kind of hear him crying out. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. He's kind of leaning on the grace of God. He's 
pleading. He's asking the Lord for help. You said, and he's, he's telling the Lord what the Lord said to him, right? Verse 8, you have said, seek my face. God commanded it. And so he's like, I'm doing it. Your face, Lord, my heart says to you, your face do I seek. So there's a sense in which David is just desperate for God. He's in the midst of battles. He's in the midst of conflict. He's in the midst of the real world that you and I live. And in some ways, mortal danger is all around him. And yet, he's bold to come before the throne of grace with a kind of desperation, with a kind of faith that's just like, I'm coming to you, Lord. There's nowhere else to go. Where am I going to go? And God is where the help is at. Oh, God, you are my helper. Oh, God, be gracious to me. He's talking like that. Oh, God of my salvation. He's one who knows that when you call out to God in desperation, he meets you. That when you call out to God and like there's nowhere else, like the bottom is falling out and you're just like, where do I go? And you cry out. God meets you there. When the dark night of the soul hits and things look bleak, God meets you when you cry out in this kind of desperate, heartfelt pleading before the throne of grace. And I want to ask us today to kind of reflect a little bit. Like, is, is that the kind of prayer that's cultivated in our life? Is that sort of what's going on in our souls in day-to-day realities? Is there kind of an earnestness? Is there a desperation? Is there like, you know, like I'm a drowning man and I'm coming up for air like it's everything I need. Do you pray like that? Like you need it like oxygen. That's the kind of prayer that David's like summoning forth. He's calling us to this and it's God's inspired word. It's showing us like, yes, when the days are dark, get desperate in your prayer life. Get earnest. Get serious about it. You know, like think about the work of the Lord in your soul. Sometimes he orders our life to get us to the place where we're just crying out for our dad to take care of us. And then we realize that's the place where the blessing flows. We talked about that last week, right? Where's the blessing flowing? I want to get under the fountain of blessing. And so God is moving David to a place of earnest desperation, and he's crying out for that very thing. Lord, turn the faucet on. Please be gracious to me. Please answer me, verse 7, right? He's, he's asking, he's, he's longing for God to break through. Have you been there? Have you, have you been in that place where you've been praying about something for a long time and you're asking for a breakthrough. I need a breakthrough, God. That's the kind of thing that David's doing. I need a breakthrough here. I need you to come in and come through and help me. I need this, Lord. I need you more than I need air. More than I need the blood blowing, pumping through my veins. I need God. And David would learn through the school of hard knocks what it meant to desperately come to God. Because he didn't just face Goliath. He faced tragedies and suffering even in his own family, 
Even in the context of those who were supposed to love him most, right? You've got the, the verse 10, right? For my father and mother has forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. What happens when those who are supposed to love you most abandon you? Well, God will take you in. The Lord will be your helper. The Lord will be your strength. The Lord will meet you in that. The Lord will give you that grace. And so David is here just coming to God, knowing like there's nowhere I'd rather go. But the situation's so desperate that I'm coming with that blood earnestness. And that's a life of faith. It's infectious. It's what it's what we really like. I, I, I want us to kind of catch the wind in our sails to be a people who pray with that kind of desperation. You look at the world around us, right? You, we look and we see the hurt. We see the brokenness. We see the need. We see the, the, the unsettled nature of, of world events and, and, and things unfolding. We see the darkening of the night in our landscape. We see things unfolding in our schools that seem atrocious to us, that we would just be aghast 30 years ago, and now it's like living out some kind of horrible nightmare, right? Where things are being taught that we would never have imagined. And we need to get earnest in prayer. We need to get desperate as the church and cry out and knock and ask and seek that God may do a move of grace to awaken this nation and bring it to its knees and awaken the church to be the church and to call out unto God in these kind of ways. And David knew like he needed grace. And our nation needs grace, the grace of God to break in, to awaken sin or awaken sinners of their sinful nature. Because when you're in the dark and you're traveling in the dark and you don't know you're in the dark, well, you're never going to seek the light. But when the light comes and exposes where we're at, Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. Because it exposes the light exposes their sin. It's like flipping a light switch on and what do the cockroaches do, right? They scatter. And that's what we do in our sin. We run from the light. And ultimately, Jesus shines the light and says, I can actually deal with your darkness. And David is calling out here in this psalm and he knows he needs grace. Look at verse 9. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Is that not interesting that, that David's asking that God would not abandon him, that God would not forsake him, that God would not turn his face away in fierce anger? He is a man who knew and it was in touch with his sin. We all know David's a man after God's own heart, but he's also a man who committed adultery and then committed murder to try to cover up that adultery. And ultimately, David was awakened by grace as God sent Nathan the prophet to him after about a year of this and said, you're the man, David. You are the man. And David repented in sackcloth and ashes that day, and he knew what it was to have the grace of God enveloping him, rescuing him, and he knew what it was to have a sense of separation from God too. 
Because that whole time he was doing that, he, he didn't have that fellowship with God. And then grace broke in and brought him to a place where he's experiencing this. So now, this desperate heart cry is like, God, enemies are all about me. The situation is dark. Trials are looming large. Please help me. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God, of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And isn't it good to know like when we get desperate in our prayer life that we have a strong tower that we can run into and be safe? Like that God is just, His arms are open. He's not ready to smite us. When we get desperate in prayer, when we get earnest, when we get real, and we come to God because of God, and we run from the things that are on the horizon attacking us, like God meets you in that moment and shows you what a powerful God He is. His grace is sufficient in your weakness. What did Paul say in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12 when he had a thorn in his flesh? He's just praying, please make it go away. This thorn is bothering me. And he prayed three times and the Lord kept telling him, my grace is sufficient in your weakness. And when you're weak, the strength of Christ rests on you. So when you come to God in these ways, the power of God comes into your life the moment you start getting blood earnest in your prayer life. So as you're reflecting on that, like, is that your prayer life? Is it blood earnest? Is it desperate? Is it a seeking the face of God in the face of life's difficulties and trials and struggles? Or is it a coasting along, sort of prayerless, sort of just... I'm just going to try to rest on my own laurels. I'm going to try to muscle through. I'm going to try to just get my routine going. I'm going to try everything but prayer. And David is reminding us that we need God. And prayer is also the place we go for wisdom. Notice what David says here. His, his desperate prayer is also a heart cry for guidance and wisdom. Verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Are you struggling to know like what to do in the face of conflict, difficulty, trial, suffering? Any of the things that you go through on a daily basis, David says, pray to God about it. Ask Him to teach you. Ask Him to lead you on a level path. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. So he just goes to the Lord for wisdom, for guidance and instruction. And where do you go when you pray? I would encourage you to pray with your Bible open. Because prayer, we talked about this, right? Prayer is talking to God. And ultimately, the Bible is God talking to us. So you seek wisdom and then you open your Bible and read and let God speak to you. That's why we preach the word on Sunday. That's why we preach the word at every gathering. Because we need to hear from God. And we also need to talk to God. We need to seek his wisdom and his counsel. And, and, and ultimately he's the creator of the universe. And the one who holds it in his, his hand. And how much more does he know what you need? He made you. He knows what you need. 
He made you, He cares for you, and He longs for you to come to Him so He can speak a word into your life. And how many of you have struggled in very deep ways and had difficult times come, and it was a word from God that broke in at just the right moment. And I needed that. I got the exact word I needed And I was crying out to God. I opened up the book and he spoke. We are a people of the book. We are a people of the God-inspired book. But we're also a people of prayer. We're also a church that's supposed to be built upon prayer. We're also a, a people who are supposed to get real and get desperate in our prayer lives. So we're seeing here, like, that's anchor number one. But what about, ultimately, we've seen, we've got to be desperate, but there's also a sense that we need to persevere. Like, we can't just get desperate in one moment, and then prayer just kind of like, you know, leaves. Once Once the trial's over, it's like, I don't need to talk to God anymore, you know? Ultimately, we need to wait upon God and prevail in prayer. So that's anchor number two. Look at it in verse 13 and 14. This is, this is God's word. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So two quick things that we're seeing and observing in this part of the passage. Number one, David is actually believing that God will grant his requests that he would see God's goodness while he's yet living. Some of us think like only the goodness comes when we get to heaven. But David is relying on the fact that he knows my God will display his goodness in my life here and now, and I'm waiting for it, and I'm praying for it, and I'm looking for it, and I know the character of my God. So David banks on the character of God, and you need to do that too. You struggling with something right now? Bank on the character of God. You discouraged right now? Bank on the goodness of God. When we begin to struggle, it's usually when we begin to doubt the goodness of God in our life. What happened in the garden was a doubting of the goodness of God. Did God really say that he that you shouldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Like God's holding out on you, the serpent said, right? Did God really say that? You're not going to die. Don't worry about that. It was like God's this cosmic killjoy. He's not letting you eat of this one tree. And, and, and Satan's making it seem like, you know, the Lord is being stingy, you know, and he's not being good. That's what he tempted Adam and Eve with. And the truth was God had given him the whole garden and every tree in the garden but that tree. You have lavish provision and you're in paradise. And it's not enough. 
And that is the temptation. And David knows the truth is the opposite. I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I know that I will experience God's goodness no matter how dark the night is. No matter how deep the suffering goes. No matter how long it goes. I will see the goodness of my God while I yet live. Psalm 142 and verse 5 says, I cry to you, O Lord, and I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Have you guys thought like God gives us himself in the gospel? What does Jesus do? But it's God coming to earth and becoming incarnate, taking on flesh to dwell among us, to die on a cross, to save us so we can come into a relationship with God. So God gives you himself in the gospel. And God is the ultimate source of goodness. He's the place where goodness flows. He's the relationship that makes all other relationships right. He's the one who sustains all that you need. And if you're not right with him, nothing else will be right. And David knew, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He knew that that's the key. Like I got to I got to wait confidently on the goodness of God and the posture of my heart must be one of trust. Is that the posture of our heart? I'm going to trust God through the hard stuff. I'm going to trust God when it gets difficult. Because when you're in the hot water, that's when your faith is tested. When you're in the darkness, that's when the faith is tested. Will the light come? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? Ultimately, David knows that sometimes we need to get a glimpse of the goodness. Amen? And that, that causes us to kind of recall Moses. If you remember in the book of Exodus, he longs to see the glory. Lord, bring me to the place where I get to see your glory. He went on the mountain with God. We talked about that a little bit last week. But ultimately, he wanted to see God manifesting his glory and his goodness and God sticks him in the cleft of a rock because you couldn't see it directly. He sticks him in the cleft of a rock and this is what he says when Moses says, please show me the glory. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And there was a sense in which Moses was getting a word from God that God's grace is something that he brings into people's lives out of his sovereign will. He actually shows Moses, you want to see my goodness? I'll bring it past you. And I'll let you see what I can do and who I am. And it's his very character that he's good. I'm reminded of the Chronicles of Narnia when um, 
they speak about Aslan and somebody says, is he safe? And they go, no, 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 no. He's, he's not safe. He's a lion, but he is good. And the Lord, the Lord is a consuming fire. He's light. He's radiant. He's holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's sovereign. He holds the world and the universe in his hands. And he is surely something to tremble before but he's good. And if you trust him, you will experience what David pleads for and waits for. I will wait. I, I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Are you trusting in the character of our great and good God? Second thing we see in this last portion of text is we see the psalmist call to all of us to wait on the Lord. Notice that it kind of changes from a prayer into a call. He says, verse 14, wait for the Lord. Now he's talking to us. He wants to instruct us. This psalm is like, it's been headed towards proclamation. It's been headed towards like, I want you guys to start doing this. Verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And some of you have been praying for stuff for a long, long time. And you may be asking yourself, like, why so long? Why do I have to keep waiting? And God is always on time when he answers prayer. Remember, he's good. He knows what we need. He's, he's sovereign and he's good in his timing. He knows the medicine we need. He knows how long we need to wait. He knows what prayers we need answered and what prayers he needs to say no to. And ultimately, we can sometimes struggle with that in prayer. And sometimes that's why we stop praying. Because of unanswered prayer, but we forget the character of God. I'm reminded of the Lord of the Rings where there's this scene where um, Gandalf and Frodo are talking and Gandalf actually just arrived and Frodo says, Gandalf, you're late. And he's like, Mr. Baggins, a, a wizard is never late. A wizard arrives precisely when he means to. God is never late. He arrives precisely when he means to and when it's good and right in your life. So prevail in prayer. Be like Jacob. Do you have the heart of Jacob wrestling with the angel all night long in Genesis 32? He's just wrestling. I will not let you go until you bless me. It's like a tenacious prayer. That's the sort of thing we're seeing here. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. God's with you. But wait on Him. Wait on Him. Be patient. Keep trusting Him. Don't give up in prayer. Don't stop praying. Don't stop gathering to pray. Don't stop 
seeking Him. Don't stop seeking His face. This is what this whole series has been about. Just keep seeking God. It's like Dory in, you know, Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. She's just hoping against hope, right? But God is like, I'm God. I'm good. I love you. I know the end from the beginning and I know exactly what you need. And nothing is accidental going on in your life. I'm ordering it in such a way to bring you to a place where you're great. You're seeing the glory of God and the goodness of God in your life to transform you. Wait upon the Lord. Have courage. Trust Him. And trust Him in the hard stuff. Trust Him in the difficulties. And trust Him when the enemies come knocking on your door. That's what this prayer has been all about. Just as Moses was called to look on the goodness of God and depend on it, just as Jacob wrestles with the angel all night, the testimony of the Bible is you keep waiting on God and you watch Him work in His good timing. What do you see when you read Genesis and you get to the story of Joseph? When you get to the account, the historical account of Joseph, he was a man who waited on God. If you think about it, it's very profound because Joseph dreamed that his whole family would bow down to him. And they scoffed and ridiculed him. But Joseph waited on God. Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers and just left for dead. But Joseph waited on the Lord and the Lord was with him. Joseph is falsely accused as a slave and thrown into prison. Not sure that's happened to any of us, but Joseph waited on the Lord. Joseph was left in prison to rot for years. But Joseph waited and waited and waited upon the Lord. And then, eventually, God answers all the dreams and all the prayers and all the heart cries in the right moment, in the right timing, Joseph is raised up to be ruler in Egypt and his family does come and bow down to him. And he saves his family from a famine which they would have died. And God is preserving the line in which the Messiah would come through by the work he did through Joseph. And even through the stuff the brothers did against him. And he would later recount God's heart in it all and God's hand in it all when he says to his brothers, when he finally reveals to his brothers that it was him who's the ruler in Egypt, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So that he may preserve life this very day. What they meant for evil, God was working the dark threads in Joseph's life. All that hard stuff. All the things he went through for good. 
It reminds me of Romans 8.28. And we know that for that those who love God, God works all things together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. What can we say then? If God be for us, who can be against us? God ordered Joseph's whole life to bring about the salvation of his family so that a prince could be born 2,000 or several thousand years later who could come and redeem the world. All the people who would call on his name. From every tribe, every tongue, every nation can be saved because of what looked like a crazy, why, Lord, why, you, why am I waiting? Why am I waiting? That's why. Because that's how God works. And the moment you're ready to give up, He breaks in. So keep persisting in desperate, prevailing prayer. That's the call of this psalm. I believe I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. One thing I have asked and that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Verse 4, right? That's the heart cry. So let's tie a couple applications to this reality that, that God is calling us into a deeper life of prayer. A deeper life of trust. A deep, what does it mean to seek the face of God? It means to enter into fellowship with God. It means to come into a deep relationship with God. To see God in relationship. That's what he says. Your face do I seek. I'm seeking you, Lord. I'm seeking relationship with you. So let's think through some, some practical things. And Matthew Henry helps us one more time with these practical realities Practical truth number one. Begin your day with prayer. Begin your day with God in prayer. Psalm 5 and verse 3 says, O Lord, in, in the morning you hear my voice, and in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. He's like coming to God in the morning. Robert Murray McShane was famous for saying, See the face of Christ before you see the face of anybody else. Seek God in the morning. When you get up, get in your prayer closet and come to the Lord in prayer and seek His face. Don't wait to begin your day with God. Come and set the tone of your day. Sometimes we get beat down by our day because we haven't sought the Lord and began our day in prayer. So give the first fruits of your day to God. Number two, spend the day with God. Spend the day with God. The Bible says pray without ceasing. The Bible says pray always and be thankful for all things, for this is the will of God. So keep that dialogue open, right? Keep that dialogue open. It's like having your cell phone just left on. Keep that conversation going. Doesn't mean that you're always talking audibly or something like that, like some weirdo running around, but there's a, there's a relationship. Cultivate it. Keep it. Remember God. Bring your struggles, your pains, your worries, your fears. Bring the things that are going on in your soul unto the Lord. 
Spend your day with God. Begin it with God. Spend your day with God. Lord, your face do I seek. Verse 7, right? 7 and 8. Truth number 3. End your day with God. End your day with God. You got to begin your day with God. You got to spend your day with God. And then you got to end your day with God. Finish your day off praying and seeking the Lord. Psalm 4 and verse 8 says, In peace I will lie, both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. So when you seek God in the evenings, think of it as giving a review of your day unto the Lord. Anything you're worried about, anything you're struggling with, anything that's been stacking up, pressures looming, you begin to bring to God in actual prayer and start praying about these things. And you'd be amazed, the peace of God that comes over you and you can rest so much more easy. How many of us minds are running like this and we're up half the night because we're worried and worried and worried, but we haven't ended our day with God. What a calming effect would happen in our souls if we ended our day seeking the face of God in prayer. Fourth truth and last practical thing that we could be doing. Spend every day with God in prayer. It's not enough to seek Him today, but resolve to seek God every day in prayer. Resolve to spend every day with God. And that's Psalm 27 and verse 4, right? One thing I've asked of the Lord and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, what? All the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. What's happening there? It's a resolution of faith. To say, not only am I going to seek God today, but my resolve is to seek God every day. I'm nurturing that relationship every day. And perhaps you've neglected to do that very thing. Perhaps you pray in pockets. Perhaps you only pray in emergencies. Perhaps your prayer life, if you're honest, there's not a whole lot of seeking going on there. And there's just a lot of depending on yourself. And maybe David would have a word for you and say, seek him with your whole heart. Seek him today. Seek him every day. Seek him at the beginning of your day, in the middle of your day, and at the end of your day. As Matthew Henry put it, like, let's fall in love with prayer. I love prayer because it's that which buckles on the whole armor of the Christian. And one author once put it like this. He said, prayerlessness is actually Christlessness. And Christlessness means we're on the high road to destruction. So it's a dangerous place to be when we don't call upon the name of the Lord. But we profess the name of the Lord. But the heart of a Christian and the heart of a psalmist and the heart of a warrior for God and the heart of a daughter of God is to cry out 
and to say, I love prayer, and I'm going to put on God's armor every day. Are you buckling the armor of God on? Let's pray. Father, we recognize, Lord, that it can be uh, simultaneously encouraging and discouraging to learn about prayer. We see our inadequacies. We see our shortcomings. And there can be a temptation to get discouraged. But this is a call to be encouraged. This is a call to strap on the armor and put on each piece by prayer. This is a call to remember that we are cultivating a relationship with you and that you have actually said and called us to call upon your name and to call on it always. And I pray that you would do in this church, that you would do in each and every one of our hearts, that you would perform the surgery needed to call us to be a people who summon the living God every day in prayer and then gather as a people to call forth on God to knock and seek and ask for revival in our lands, for revival in our midst, for awakening in our land that people would see their sin and see the sweetness of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only hope this world has. And so, Father, I pray wherever we're at, Lord, if we're discouraged right now or if we're encouraged, that you would remind us to call upon the name of the Lord. And that's what you said. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. For you are an ever-present help in a time of need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.